On this episode of Jessica's show, we got ourselves a weekly TV update when we talk about CW's newest show, I Ship It, Fox's Beverly Hills 90210, and ABC's Bachelor in Paradise. We're also going to talk about Viacom's future, and we're going to talk about some streaming outlets. Also, we have a book review coming up. All this and more on Jessica's show. Oh, wow. Thank you so much, and welcome to the show. It's been a crazy few weeks, I gotta say. It's a big show, and it's our debut episode, and I'm really excited to finally get to start this. For our first segment of this episode, we have a ratings update. And something big came out of the CW today that I think everybody should know. And two weeks ago, the premiere of CW's new show, I Ship It, joined the ever-revolving door of point ones on the CW. And I found out just today that the show, which was originally a show that aired on CW Seed as a digital exclusive, it got pulled from the schedule after two episodes. Even with a point one, even when the majority of their summer shows have gotten point ones, although the news is not even made official, the Futon Critic listings definitely pretty much confirm it. My thought is maybe CW really needs to rethink its strategy for keeping its lights on because I kid you not. CW changed affiliates in the number one market for the third time in the five seasons. That's happened in Chicago, and Chicago's the number one affiliate market. And they changed affiliates for the third time in five seasons. And that's not going to hold out very well long term. Moving on to ABC, Bachelor in Paradise continues to do really well for August and its network. And as we're winding down, I think the long-term progress is, even since the Dance with the Stars cast was announced, ABC is still going to have a down season. Without a doubt, their game shows are not even setting the ratings world on fire, pretty much. And it is not great news for ABC, especially since they're rebranding their drama slate and they've pretty much deprioritized their comedies. I'm guessing they're at a point where they are rethinking your strategies long-term. 
Moving on to CBS, we still have Big Brother and repeats going on. And just recently, the series finale of Instinct aired last Sunday night, and it went out with a whipper, as we all know that it got canceled a while back. And then moving on to Fox, you have the race for the summertime Blutarski continuing. On a special episode, what just happened hit a point one. And honestly, I feel like if this continues airing, imagine it hitting the point zero before the CW. And that's not really a good look for Fox. Beverly Hills 90210 is continuing its downward slide and it's now doing no better than any of its game shows or reality shows. And last but not least, we move on to NBC and it's chugging away as usual. America's Got Talent now in the low ones. American Engineer in fractionals and Hollywood Game Night starting with a whimper. That means NBC really needs to rethink its strategy for NBC reality in order for it to keep its lights on. And we move on to cable. I think the big news in the past couple of weeks is Animal Kingdom and the ratings. It has spiked up after the departure of Ellen Barkin. But only time will tell if the ratings are going to improve by next season. Only time will tell. And that has been your weekly TV update. Don't go away. We'll be right back. And we're back with the show. We've been getting reports about the merger between Viacom and CBS. Now it's official. They're back together. And my initial thought is I have no idea if it's going to last or not. But only time will tell. But this has been in the works since 2016, when some of the Redstones National Amusements asked the boards of both Viacom and CBS to consider a merger in stock. Because National Amusements controls both Viacom and CBS. So apparently it has been three years in the making. Today, I just recently read an article from The Atlantic titled Why Viacom and CBS Had Emerged to Survive. And I thought that was pretty interesting because there's this keyword titled survive as if both companies are on life support, really. But one key takeaway of this article says that when CBS Viacom 
when they split like 14 years ago, it was apparently due to infighting and stagnant stocks. And apparently, Viacom and CBS have merged because ratings are down for some time. But it's nothing new. So my question right at the moment would be like, how does this affect the stakeholders in this merger? There's one plausible explanation that cutting the cord could get costlier, according to another article I read today. But here's the thing. Although Pluto TV, which is owned by Viacom, is free, CBS All Access may face cost increases with the Viacom content that's being poured in. But keep in mind, this does not affect assisting shows on all the networks right now. But I do have a plausible theory on why they had to survive, especially if this helps the Viacom channels. I've read today's ratings report that MTV's VMAs was down 6% this week. It was at a 0.9 on MTV compared to a 1.0 a year ago, which is still pretty good on MTV standards considering that the ratings on the whole entire network has been down considerably the past few months. I do have some suggestions. I think they MTV and VH1, with the ratings down a bit, they need to find other ways to keep the brand running just as they have been doing with YouTube and Pluto TV at the moment. But my second question would probably be, how does this affect Paramount Network? Recently, there have been some staff changes and Younger was moved back to TV land. But more on that in a second. Paramount, other than Yellowstone, still does not have an active scripted division. Everything since its launch at the moment has been pretty much hit or miss. With the exception of Yellowstone. But I also kind of feel like Yellowstone is geared toward a specific audience. And it's not even filtering into the rest of the Paramount content unless you watch reality TV such as Bar Rescue and a few other shows. And one thing that would probably be affected in the mix is Lip Sync Battle long term. Its ratings have been down considerably. How are they going to ever fix that? Only time will tell. So basically, they need to promote scripted at the moment. Now, where does Love Island fit in the equation? CBS's Love Island has been getting 0.4s, 0.5s for the most part of the summer, even though it got renewed. That attracted a younger skewing demographic than the rest of CBS's programming. Is that the hit that... CBS really, really needs right at the moment? I don't think so. That show belongs on MTV, in my opinion. But networks rarely listen anyway. 
I don't know if that's going to become a reality right now, but I really hope it does with the merger. And we have reached the end of this segment. When we come back, we are going to talk about Disney Plus and streaming. Don't go away. We'll be right back. I hear you folks. This podcast has been made possible by listeners like you. Thank you. And we're back with the show and we got a lot to talk about when it comes to streaming. Especially with the announcement of Disney+. Plus. I've Basically, I'm reading an article right now about the launch dates, the pre-orders of Disney+, Plus, and it's expected to be a Netflix rival, and that site, Disney+, Plus, opened pre-orders for a week at a big discount. That's if you're willing to make a three-year commitment to Disney's new streaming hub for Marvel, Star Wars, Pixar, and all things Disney. And some of the shows, I'm not kidding you. It's basically Disney Channel for tweets. Check this out. One of the shows that they pitched was High School Musical, The Musical, The Series. What a ridiculous title. They basically have Pixar. They also ordered a Star Wars series based on Obi-Wan Kenobi. And speaking of Marvel, they have new live-action Marvel shows based on the characters of Ms. Marvel, Moon Knight, and She-Hulk. And so they released trailers for the shows that are coming on the new streaming site. So basically they offered like a huge discount, which leads to like a three-year commitment. As a result, the D23 Expo website crashed. How it relates to the streaming thing, I feel like this is going to be a big competitor, but it's not going to be as big as Netflix. And here's why. In the trailer for the new High School Musical reboot, let's just say that, they bleeped out a part of the trailer, which basically adds to my opinion that it's basically mostly for teens and tweens. But let's not get into like any specifics and how it relates to streaming This is one of the big parts of the merger with 20th Century Fox. Remember FX Plus? That's dead now. But it does not affect Disney's other streaming service, Hulu and Sports Focus ESPN Plus. They will run on the same tech platform, but they plan for all three to be individual subscriptions. But when Disney Plus launches in the U.S., it'll offer a triple service bundle for $13 a month. Even though you can't really beat that. And speaking of the death of FX Plus, it didn't fit in the equation. 
The service shut down last week. It was $6 a month for Comcast and Cox cable subscribers that removed ads from current and past seasons of FX programming like Atlanta, American Horror Story, and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia when it became part of Disney. So the FX shows are now going to cross-pollinate with Hulu. And so Disney Plus is going to launch November 12th in the U.S., Canada, and Netherlands, and a week later in Australia and New Zealand. I feel like this is going to be a huge investment for all of Disney's big-budget films that are being released in the holiday season. But long-term, I don't know if it's going to work. With Freeform still declining in the ratings, there needs to be a strategy on how to fix the struggling teen slash family network. But speaking of big budget films, Frozen 2 is scheduled to hit theaters November 22nd, and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker is going to release on December 20th. So in the U.S., Disney said that the service will cost $7 a month or $70 a year, which is considerably less than Amazon Prime and Netflix and Hulu, but it's probably around the same or... Not as much as CBS All Access, but we'll take that. So with wide device support, Disney Plus will apparently support streaming to phones, tablets, computers, connected TVs, and streaming media boxes. That also includes Roku, Apple TV, phones and TVs running on Android, operating systems, as well as Xbox One and PlayStation 4. And it will be able to stream in 4K and HDR, and it will be allowed to stream for four devices simultaneously and can create seven user profiles for different members of the household. Up to four devices on one Disney Plus account. I feel like that's going to be an interesting turn of events. There are several other articles going on. Somebody wrote Disney Plus is going to kill binge watching, and that's a great thing. I mean, it is a great thing short term, but whether it's going to help in the long term, especially after the merger with Fox, that remains to be seen. Don't go away. We'll be right back. We got to the point in this break where we get to talk about previewing the next episode of Jessica's show. So on the next episode, I get to talk about new music, O'Connor, and what the heck is going on in the world of faith. You don't want to miss this next episode because it's going to get crazy. Stay tuned. And we are back with the show. We've come to the point of this podcast where I get to review what I have read over the summer break. This week, the lucky book is Ursula Le Guin's No Time to Spare, Thinking About What Matters, 
This comes from the author that wrote her famous children's book series, Cat Wings. Well, this book is a book of essays based on blog posts. It's a slow read, but it gives out insights on topics such as aging, cats, and everything in between. She even wrote an essay on something as trivial as cussing, which you won't hear any of that unless a particular episode of a show is marked explicit. And on this podcast, this is going to be a rare occasion. There were several essays in the book of where she discusses her cat hard. I think it's interesting for one thing, as I never thought that a cat would be an interesting part of a particular form of medium. But in this book, I thought it was. Especially the name Pard. In several quotes, I thought they were so important that struck a chord. One of them includes this. A decision worthy of the name is based on observation, factual information, intellectual and ethical judgment, opinion, that darling of the press, the politician, and the poll may be based on no information at all. So, kind of like the difference between facts and opinions, and she also shared this. I don't believe in Darwin's theory of evolution. I accept it. It isn't a matter of faith, but of evidence. At school, the theory of evolution is still basically taught as a theory in science classes, which is pretty much of a culture shock. I've never been great in science, but that doesn't really mean that I'm a strong supporter of creationism. Both are theories in a way. And the next important quote, literature is a field a great many men consider theirs by right. Virginia Woolf committed successful competition in that field. Ellipses. Yet 80 or 90 years later, charges of snobbery and invalidism are still used to discredit and diminish her. Marcel Proust his limitations and his neuroticism were at least as notable as hers, which I thought that was pretty interesting too. And this huge quote on aging, let age be age. Let your old relative or old friend be who they are. Denial serves nothing, no one, no purpose. And these are some of the quotes that were very important throughout this book. And so because I feel like this is of a slow read for me. It took me about like a month and a few weeks to read it. I give this insightful book 8.5 out of 10, basically like an 85% out of 100. But this is still a pretty good book if you want to get insightful information. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. We've reached a point in this podcast where I provide my final closing thoughts. For one thing, it is not exactly easy to put together a podcast. 
A lot of editing is involved into making a show the best it can be possible. Often, some segments are usually cut for time or bloopers. Plus, there's everything in between. It also takes a ton of planning beforehand. Oftentimes, things can go wrong. For example, the audio can go out, the interview was shorter or longer than you planned for it to be, and there are often personal things that are beyond control. But one thing is for sure, the final product is what listeners end up listening to. And that's all that matters at the end. Anyways, make sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Betagirl96, like Jessica's show on Facebook, and like my public page, Jessica Boggs, on Facebook for more updates. Also, you can follow the TV Ratings Guide on Twitter at TV Ratings Guide for more TV-related updates. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Jessica Boggs, signing off.